Hello and welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. My name is Vic Bonacci. You can find me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. This is episode 66. We'll be talking with Paul Tevis in just a few moments here. Before we do that, I did want to just kick off and let you know that, you know, these are crazy times. And in addition to everybody now working from home, we're also teaching classes from uh, over Zoom or whatever it might be. And, um, and we have to learn new ways of, you know, communicating that way, whether it's communicating instructions or working with teammates or facilitating meetings, whatever it might be. Um, everything has kind of been turned upside down. I do have to say that uh, I recorded this podcast with Paul Tevis here in early March. And um, first of all, I went to a training of his, an online training on online facilitation for two hours. It was a fantastic workshop and it really informed a lot of what I'm now doing with my online classes. What Paul has to say is, is really uh, quite some powerful stuff. But I also wanted to talk about a couple other sessions that I recorded for this podcast already. Angela Johnson and I, we had a, a really good talk, not only about some of the advanced certified uh, Scrum Alliance classes, the advanced product owner, the, the certified Scrum professional, Scrum master, and those types of things, but also just uh, in terms of her fluency with training from the back of the room techniques. I watched her do a class back in late January, I think it was, where she just kind of, she led that class. It was an in-person class but she just kind of wove the content in with the four C's. Uh, if you're familiar with Sharon Bowman and, and training from the back of the room, it was just um, just a master class on how to put it together. And I've worked with uh, a number of people who use uh, the training from the back of the room techniques, um, but Angela Johnson just, just knocked it out of the park for me. Um, in addition, I recorded a, an episode with Paul Moore. Actually, Larry Lawhead and I sat down with Paul Moore, um, who's a technical coach and he's been working with uh, with technical teams and talking about software craftsmanship for gosh probably 20 years or something like that and in the southern california area paul has been hosting a number of agile meetups it's actually a monthly agile meetup um, for also almost as long right so over 13 years or or more probably um and I'll, I'll try to get that up, too. But both of those were recorded uh, before we went to um, to everything being online. So I wanted to get Paul's information in front of you right away so that you can start using it, too. Uh, like I said, I had a uh, the opportunity to join one of his very first two-hour-long workshops, which was free, online. And in those two hours, uh, even though we used Zoom, we barely used any other technology other than Zoom. And there was just so much that I learned in terms of how to have a good meeting online. I want to just start off, though, by saying he's got two free workshops coming up, and they're going to happen in the next week or so. So you might want to jump on them right away, and, and I'm sure that he'll be offering more sessions of them eventually. But the first is called How Not to Take Your Meetings Online. It's an experimental workshop focusing on stopping the behaviors that we know make our meetings less than effective. So if you're a scrum master or an agile coach or some other agilist now that who is supporting a team that's suddenly no longer to work in person. Um, he also has another workshop called Supporting Suddenly Distributed Agile Teams. Um, you could check out Paul's website. It's at vigamus.com, and that's spelled, it's a Latin word. He, he talks about it in the interview here. Um, vigamus is spelled V-I-G-E-M-U-S. 
vigamus.com. So you can reach out to Paul at vigamus.com if you wanted to talk to him directly, but go there, check it out, and I'm sure that you're going to learn a lot too. Just a reminder that the Agile Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Rocket Nine Solutions. And we are a part of the Agile Podcasting Network. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, take in the sounds of the cafe, and enjoy the Agile Coffee Podcast featuring Paul Tevis. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Here we are on the Agile Coffee Podcast with Paul Tevis. Uh, Weppel. <laughs> Welcome, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's this uh doing the podcast remote that must have me flustered all the time i'm so used to doing this podcast face to face but uh but welcome well thanks for having me you know i think it's that uh that face to face thing i've been talking with a lot of folks about recently and i'm actually starting to say uh talking about in person versus mm-hmm. online because I think one of the things we're finding right now is the ability to be face-to-face, even when we're not in the same location. This is true. The language we use now changes in person as opposed to being online, face-to-face in both accounts. So last time I had you on was episode 62. We were at, uh, I believe it was right after the Agile Open SoCal up in Irvine. Uh, You had talked a bit about liberating structures and some of the other work that you've been doing with organizations. Um, I'm wondering now that we're in the time of um, social distancing is what they call it, but I guess we're calling it more physical distancing, exactly. uh, online uh, meetings, online facilitation, online training. Um, what's your reaction? How how's your life changed over the last two months? Let's say. Yeah. A lot of learning for certain, you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting case of trying to th- take things, you know, I'd already been kind of moving in the direction of doing more facilitation and starting to think more about how can we have better meetings online? Um, how can we, because it's just a reality you know, for so many teams, for so many groups, um, before uh, we suddenly were all uh, on remote teams. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'd already been kind of moving in that direction and, and playing with a few things and learning a little bit. And then at the point where suddenly everyone is working from home, um, it, it became uh, an opportunity to apply some of that, but also to deepen and just kind of try more things out, try things that I didn't think would work, might not work. Um, and just in the, you know, it's like, uh, you know, in the Agile Manifesto, right? They say, you know, we are, we are learning by doing, you know, uh, and helping others do it. And so that's what I've been doing a lot of in terms of People have said, you know, hey, we've got to have these online meetings and they're going to be terrible. Uh, And I'm like, well, actually, what can we do about that? And sort of exploring with people, like, what is it that would actually make these useful to you, more useful to you? Um, And and really learning a lot from folks. So it's been it's been a lot of experimentation. I've been on probably in the last 10 days, uh, no fewer than seven webinars, another five lean coffees so far this week. It's only Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm vowing to keep that up. Uh, and ho- who knows how many other Zoom meetings I've been on this week. But but yeah, you're right. Everything's, everything's changing and we have to be paying attention to what people's needs are out there. And I'm really glad that you're in that learning mode for us. Yeah. That we can learn from you. Well, and it's, so uh, you and I were together uh, 
at uh, Agile Open San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I actually, uh, it was right as everything was starting to be canceled, right? If yeah. that had been the following week, it would not have happened. Right. And there okay. were, you know, there were about 30 of us there. There were supposed to have been about 200. What happened was um, <laughs> there were, yeah, somewhere over 150 or so mm-hmm. people had signed up. Um, maybe 120 or so people actually paid and didn't get refunds right away. Maybe about 70 people showed up for opening circle. And by the close of day two, it was down to 20-ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was pretty sparse. Yeah. And so... Um, but what was interesting, like we were kind of a bunch of us were talking around, you know, hey, we've talked about how we need to you know, be agile. We need to we're living in a VUCA world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden we're all going, oh, maybe we really are. So I ended up doing a conversation cafe session um, where the, the central question for the attendees was um, what agile principle or value or belief of yours is being challenged mm-hmm. by the COVID-19 situation. And so uh, the face-to-face one was one that came up, but we also talked about, you know, embracing change over following a plan, uh, right? And we're like, yeah. how how deeply do we really believe that? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's putting all of our um, beliefs and characteristics to the test. I mean, look at yeah. our leadership, how leaders at different levels um, outside of Agile, you know, just yeah. government, how, how they're handling and addressing the yeah. It's all over one the of, and it really brings yeah. out people's uh, kind of true beliefs, true colors. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things where when we get, and this is a, a conversation I've been having with a lot of folks recently, mm. you know, when we get into a situation that is, that is difficult, stressful, mm. uh, ambiguous, all of the, the different things that we, um, when, when we get into hard moments, we tend to go to our go-tos, right? Mm-hmm. We go to what has gotten us here, what has made us successful, what we're most comfortable with, regardless of whether or not that's what the situation actually needs. Uh, and that's, I think that's really the challenge um, for, for a lot of people, for a lot of leaders, uh, is being able to recognize when what you are used to doing and what your organization is used to doing doesn't fit in the current situation um uh, and and like we're just not often unless we are used to asking those questions like so for example i was having a conversation with someone the other day where we both happen to have at least some level of familiarity with the kinevin sense making model Mm -hmm. and uh we were talking about the different reactions that people were having to things and it was pretty clear like some people were thinking, "Oh, yeah, we're we're in a we're in a complicated situation, so we're going to have these kinds of responses." Or, or I am most used to operating in a complicated situation, and so I'm going to respond in that ways. Uh, and the person I was talking to is most used to you know living in complexity of, "Hey, we just need to we're going to run some experiments, we're going to learn from this, we're going to kind of figure this out." But we were kind of feeling that in the moment we really were in chaos in the sense of, you know, disaster response is often the, the, the example that's given of that, where you just need to act to stabilize the situation. And so this person was saying, you know, normally I'm the sort of person who, you know, all the people who are impacted by the decision need to be involved in the decision. And, uh, and that's the way that I, I prefer that I, and I like to lead. And in this situation, it's just like, nope, we are, we're doing this now. Like these decisions are getting made. And so I think unless you're used to thinking about how 
your strengths may or may not apply to the current situation, yeah, you're just going to go to your strengths. You're going to go to what got you where you are um, that, that has succeeded for you. And unfortunately, when the situation is so different from what you're used to working in, that may just be setting you up for failure and, and the people around you. Well put. Um, a few days, actually now it's more like a couple of weeks ago, it was before the Agile Open San Diego. I had the pleasure of working with Angela Johnson uh, from Minnesota there. She's a, a CST for the Scrum Alliance, and she was hosting uh, locally for us in Southern California the um, Certified Scrum Pro, uh, Professional Scrum Master, CSPSM, and mm. um, and she played Dave Snowden's video about uh, Kinevin, um, and I just remember being in that when he was discussing the uh, that fall from uh, even simple down over the the peak into, into chaos, chaos. Thinking, yeah. man, how's that going to play out? And then here it is, just a few days later, where um, even at work, uh, the guys I'm working with are saying, "Hey, the Scrum, uh, the the sprint that we had planned, uh, we need to kind of." cancel that sprint and be into this um, probe sense respond kind of mode. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well put, guys. That was really Yay! (laughs) (laughs) We talked a little bit about um, um, leadership, like the the levels of leadership from Bill Joyner's uh, leadership agility, the catalytic Mm -hmm. leader versus a couple steps back, the expert leader, and how, again, how we fall into those defaults. Uh, Just really interesting stuff that's coming out now, but as I'm telling everyone, the last maybe not quite so much these days. It's uh, March 26, I think today, um, mm-hmm. but like 10 days ago, it was like drinking from a fire hose of fire hoses. Um, mm-hmm. There's just like all this stuff coming at you, and, and like you, I wanted to just learn and absorb as much as I could too. So I was literally just in that probe sense respond mode yeah. for a, a week, and it could be exhausting. So you have to learn some strategies to take care of yourself and those around you, right? Absolutely. You know, last Friday, uh, so kind of the first full week of, of uh, almost everybody I know being, you know, work from home uh, by that Friday. And I am the second biggest introvert that I know, uh, second biggest extrovert that I know. Oh, and wow. by Friday, I was like, no more calls, no more people. <laughs> yeah. Because I was on everything yeah. because it felt like I had to. Right. And now sort of, you know, into the, into the second week, um, getting to the end of that. Yeah, really kind of going, okay. What is it that I want to be doing and putting out? What is it that I need to be absorbing? What is the stuff where I can sort of wait for things to settle a little more? Um, you know, how do I limit my work in progress? <laughs> right? Yeah. How do I? Yeah. And, and that's so I do think that, um, you know, I think those of us who have I think anybody who has developed the muscle of being able to deal with a complex, you know, ambiguous, challenging sort of situation um, and and have those ways, have those sort of internal feedback loops to be able to self-correct, right? Because we're, we're navigating our way mm-hmm. through this and we can't know. And so we have to, to have a way of figuring out, you know, more, you know, going back to the notion of in Kinevin, right? More stories like this, fewer stories like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the, we can't know what the good outcome is, but we can know what it might be like and we can start to t- be able to sense are we on a path towards that or right. what course corrections do we want to make right. and that and when when you're yeah and so it's un, it's unsurprising that we have that first i want to do everything information is going to help us i'm going to get overwhelmed by everything and then kind of dial back and go okay now that i know what i know now what's yeah. going to happen 
So I want to uh, step back for our listeners, um, give you a proper introduction. I already said this is Paul Tevis <laughs> that we're talking to. You can go back to episode 62 of the Agile Coffee podcast and hear um, when we were talking six or eight months ago about uh, whatever we're talking about. Liberty. In a whole nother world. <laughs> right? And then we didn't do any recording at the Agile Open San Diego, but thank you for summing it up. You also had a a um another session which we can get into in just a minute the um sure. meetings make your meetings suck less or something to that effect but uh um, yep. your your company's name is uh vigemos uh vigemos yes Vigemos. and on twitter paul can be reached at vigemos that's v-i-g-e-m-u-s yep um you could probably go to your website too vigemos.com and find a, a number of links that we're going to be referring to i first want to start by asking about the um the webinar you offered a two-hour webinar if you call it that it was a taste of facilitation online something to that effect and i have to tell you paul it totally blew my mind i think it was maybe the first of like I said, five, six webinars that I've been listening into. And that's, that's the one I keep going back to. And, and I, I was thinking I would take a bunch of notes. I ended up not taking too many notes because it was very participatory. Um, you shared the slides with us. So thank you for that. Um, what, how did that come about? If, yeah. if you don't mind, general question. How did, how did you get that idea to start that webinar? So that's, it's, it's one of those funny things where, um, so I've been doing, uh, and we actually talked about this in episode 62, um, I'd, I've been doing some uh, virtual, free virtual workshops um, uh, online, you know, free virtual workshop, uh-huh. uh, workshop online. Great English, Paul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a while, um, because, you know, it's one of those ways where I can run some easy experiments around content, you know, what content is working for people, what are people interested in, um, helps me to do some some development around things like that. I'd kind of been doing that for a while. And near the end of um, 2019, um, Todd Stewie from, uh, who is one of the coordinators for the Agile Coaching Exchange Orange County, uh, group mm-hmm. said, Hey, we're starting some stuff up. I'd love it. You know, you're, you're pretty good at this. I'd love it if you could do, you know, we'd love to do a virtual meetup, um, about virtual facilitation. Would you be up for that? And I'm like, sure, absolutely. And so we, we kind of talked about that. And then I also, um, was taking a really amazing class in virtual facilitation from Maggie Chumbly and, uh, Fernando Lorio. Um, uh, and it's a four week, uh, four session, um, sort of, uh, class. And I'd done some work with Maggie before I met her last March, uh, just a year ago, which is weird to think about, but, um, and so, uh, about designing, uh, effective online experiences, um, uh, and a lot of the stuff that you saw in, in that workshop that I did. So, uh, things just kind of lined up and I ended up doing, you know, hosting this two hour, uh, virtual meetup, uh, at the end of February, February 27th, um, was, was that date. And so I had this two, two hours of content, um, from that. And then all of a sudden people were like, so how do we meet effectively online? And I was like, well, I've got this thing. And I just started putting it out there. And, and it, I mean, I did, I did five of them so far. Yeah. And, and every one of them, the registration has filled up. Yeah. Um, I've been, I, I've been capping it to 30 okay. um, because it is very interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. It's, I, I tend to refer to it as a, as a workshop rather than a webinar mm-hmm. because people, I think we're all kind of learning this. People think webinar and they think, oh, it's a thing I can call into. It's like a conference call uh, on the internet. Right. 
Um, and this isn't as you kind of experienced. And so it's really just one of those things where all of the pieces kind of came together, um, all at once. Mm -hmm. And I just had a thing at a point where a thing started to become, uh, it become obvious that people wanted it and needed it really in a lot of ways. So I just kind of put it out there and, um, and people have been, uh, have been soaking it up. I've been sending people, uh, as I said, I went, I, was in your second or third one that you did online there. And uh, I've been sending people that yeah. way too. I love uh, one observation I had was that when you, when you started the webinar, the workshop, excuse me. And I agree with no worries. You, when you ask people to, to dial in on their phone, as opposed to showing, showing faces, it, it's, it's yeah. a real distinguishing uh, characteristic too. But you started off by um, um, within the first 10 minutes, you explained kind of what roll in time is, how we have agreements. It starts when it starts kind of thing, whatever you agree on. You uh, you confirmed everyone's technology. You had us like thumbs up if you can click on this link or see the chat window. You you talked about how how we're all with 30 people on the line. We're all muted by default with the exception of the presenter here and how you can uh, use the press uh, press space bar protocol to. Oh, un- you were in that one. <laughs> it, was, it was wonderful. Um, yeah, and and you didn't even introduce. That was before you introduced yourself. Um, it was it, there were no slides at that point, and just the first ten minutes, we got so much good information about how we're going to work together and what to expect. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of the things I've been thinking about, you know, as I am now starting to teach more facilitation online. You know, I've been doing this kind of thing for. 10 years. I mean, face to face as well. I mean, haha, now I'm catching my own language yeah, there right. in person, you know, and now more online. Um, so it's really kind of making me go back. And as I'm looking at the stuff that I'm teaching, looking at the work that I'm doing and going, okay, is that what I'm actually doing? <laughs> right? Is that or or is there a piece that I'm not telling people that I'm doing, and that is actually important. And one of the things that I'm starting to settle on is, yeah, there's a lot of techniques for sort of preparation and design, you know, that mm-hmm. are that are important. And also, I think it is incredibly valuable, particularly uh, online, to cr- to create a strong beginning, a strong container mm. for the work to happen in. And that's kind of what you're pointing at is right there mm-hmm. at the beginning. It's a we're, we're establishing very quickly what the expectations for engagement are. We're making sure that everything is working, um, that people and, and actually getting people to engage, which is very similar to the kinds of things that I would do in person, mm-hmm. but with the additional challenge of let's make sure that everything works for folks, which you usually don't have to do as much of. Usually pens work. Sometimes you have to throw them away. Um, you know, usually the chairs in the in the room work, although I do a lot of stuff where we do rearranging of chairs. And sometimes you find yourself in a conference room where you can't move the chairs at the table. And that's a surprise. But yeah, I, I think that, that creating that that strong container at the beginning is something that's often overlooked. Um, mm-hmm. But when you do it well, it makes all the rest of the work that you're going to do in the session easier. The two hour time box on the workshop did not feel like two hours or, or if it did, it didn't feel painful at all because of the way not only that container was set up, as you said, but just the pacing of the activities, the, the liberal use of breaks. We, we had one big break, but, but you could take, uh, you encouraged us to take breaks if we needed to. And, uh, if we dry out, I like that phrase, go <laughs> refill your coffee. <laughs> um, 
And I think it goes back to something else that you said. Maybe it was at the very end of the workshop or kind of to the folks of us who lingered on afterwards. You were gracious enough to stick around. You said how you really have to plan very well. You can't just wing it. For the classes that we do based in person (laughs) uh, that I've done that you do, we go in knowing what we're going to talk about what learning objectives we have and for the most part you know you're like well, I didn't quite finish that exercise yet but I'm going to try it out anyway with this group of people and you can wing it to some extent but working online yeah you've got to be very thorough in your preparation not only of the container but of these exercises and and what do you want people to get up with. yeah and it I think that does a couple of things so um, you have many more opportunities when you're in person to be able to clarify if something didn't come across clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in general, that is much harder to do uh, when you are when you're meeting uh, online. So what I try to do for like any of the activities that I'm going to have folks do, and this is clarity of instruction is actually a big thing for me as a facilitator. I want to be very clear about what I'm asking people to do. Right. Uh, and so I try to. I'm going to say it, but I'm also going to have it written. Oftentimes it'll show up in the chat channel. And I probably also have it in a document that is shared with the attendees so, th- so that people can refer back to it. Because one of the things, for example, we, you know, we were meeting via Zoom using breakout rooms. One of the things that's really, that's really easy to have happen is when, particularly if you've not used breakout rooms a lot before, you go into the breakout room and you're now connected with these three or four other people who, and you're, you're introducing each other and then you go, so what were we supposed to be doing here again? You know, and that happens face to face too, right? In, in person, right? When you're, you're at a table and you're in, you're in a workshop and you're like, okay, so what were we doing? You know? And so when I would meet uh, in person, I'd have the instructions up on a chart or up on a, you know, on a slide um, that I'd be projecting. And you have to do at least that level of, of, of preparation um, for me when you're meeting uh, online oh, yeah. so that because you can't be everywhere uh, and people may not know how to ask for help. So that's part of it. What that kind of forces me to do is actually do less. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I, I will, my natural tendency has been to kind of overstuff the time box, right? It's like, great. We've got two hours. I've got these seven things that I want to cram in there. Mm -hmm. And when I'm mapping it out in time, I go, Oh yeah, this will totally fit because this will run exactly five minutes and then we'll do this thing. And "Ah, this will be a little tight, but I can't. And person that's easy to do. You can improv your way, improv your way around those things. And you can kind of do it. um, But everything takes longer online. Yeah. and so plan for that. And also that means I have to prep for all seven of those things. Right. So if instead what I do is I go, okay, let's simplify here. What are the five things that I really need to do? What are the two that I can cut? Give those a little more space. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, in the design for the, the session you were in, there is a 20 minute block allocated for Q and a, Mm-hmm. I've never actually done 20 minutes of Q&A because that's my buffer, right? That's what get, gets eaten up. Yeah. And I think we maybe, maybe maybe had like five minutes for Q&A. Mm-hmm. But w- what I was able to do with that, right, is I ask people, you know, I've done some content presentation and then they go off into triads and talk about, you know, what insights are you getting and what questions do you still have? Mm-hmm. And then I have them post the questions in the chat channel. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, I will answer whatever questions that I can here live, but whatever questions are here that I don't get to, I'll make sure that I respond in the written follow-up that I'm sending out to you later. Right. And so 
and so that allows me to be flexible. Mm-hmm. So I, you have to build, I, I find I have to build some of that flex time in because who knows how long things are going to take. Uh, so you have to be ready to improvise, but you also can't rely solely on improvising. <laughs> Um, related to that, uh, or corollary maybe to that, is something else you mentioned was having a second person at least to like co-facilitate or at least manage the behind-the-scenes um, functioning. Now, that's something, again, at Rocket9, we do trainings. We've been working uh, primarily... Uh, in person, but we've been moving some of our content to uh, this virtual um, format for a while, uh, for a while, but not a lot. Like we've been trying mm-hmm. experiments, and one thing we noticed right away is that having a second person makes a lot of that go so much easier. Someone handling the back channel, like reading the chat room and feeding that mm-hmm. to the person who's presenting, or or maybe someone's going to take over facilitation and give the key facilitator a little break. Yeah. Um, I wanted to spend a little bit of time, if you don't mind, then talking about some of the management of the session and, and how it helps if you have a second person. And if you don't have a second person, what are some things you can do? <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I've i been kind of on all sides of that uh-huh. in the last couple of weeks, right, we where are. it's been <laughs> where, where I've done the, you know, I've done, hey, I'm doing this session entirely by myself. And so I'm managing the technology and the content process. Um I've also done the, hey, I am the, the technical host for someone else who is handling the content, you know, and oh, and, uh, and things like that. And I've done the, I'm pairing with someone where I'm doing the content process stuff and I've got someone who's who's being a technical host for me. So I've actually done all three of those within the last week. Um, and wow. yeah, it, having... So there's a, there's another version that I'm doing another workshop right now called how how not to take your meetings online, mm. which is a it, it's a small it's a one hour um, workshop. And is that similar? I wonder to the session that you did at San Diego. Uh, uh, it, it's so actually fast. different. It, it's okay. different. Um, okay. uh, it, that one may show up again. It, so one of the things I'm really kind of doing is that like there's so much that there's so much that we could do. It's like I'm just going, okay, what's the next little piece that I might put out there? What's the next little piece? And Um, I like how you structured, sorry to interrupt again, but how you did your workshop. Again, the first 10 minutes was no other technology, simple stuff. And then easing into, okay, what's the next step we can do, which doesn't add so much. You weren't like, get on mural and do this and do that in the first five minutes. That would have just made our heads explode. Yeah, and that's a big thing. Like as we're all kind of learning the the new the nuances of of some of this technology that maybe we've used for a while, but we haven't realized it has these other features that could actually be really useful. Mm-hmm. Doing that incrementally, right? Just one bit at a time, letting the participants build fluency, mm-hmm. because um, because you know there is a degree of unfamiliarity. Um, that can that can show up, right? You can actually there's a there's a group that I'm part of that meets. It's a it's an online community of practice around facilitation. So we only meet in Zoom because we're all over the world. Yep. Um, and we've been doing that. I've been part of that group for almost a year now. Mm-hmm. And we meet once a month, and we all are facilitators. And we facilitate the stuff through Zoom. Okay. And so with that group, we can kind of go a little wild, right? We can improvise stuff. We can do things like that because we're all comfortable and familiar and fluent with the tools. Right. But for a lot of like right now, you can't assume that. Right. So building that fluency gradually is really important. But, um, but yeah, and that's also a case of um, I, I'm hosting some small events right now by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I've built the fluency both with the content process side and with the tools side, but I'm also not doing very complicated stuff with that. So like that one that with um, how to take your meetings online or how not to take your meetings online, um, uh, which is based on um, a design by my friend, Nancy White. Um, It starts, you know, we use, uh, we use the, the, it's a very similar intro to what you were part of. You know, people have their video cameras on. We're using some, you know, I'm doing a little bit of hand signaling just to let people know that that's a thing that they can do. Um, and then I'm pasting some stuff in the chat channel and I'm having them reply in chat. And then we do one breakout room. It's, it's actually, they, it's three rounds, but you're with the same people every time. And you're in the breakout room for, I think, like eight minutes the first time and six minutes and four minutes. So I only have to create one breakout room right. to move people around. That was right. one of my questions here on having a second person. How do you manage all these breakout rooms? And that sounds yeah. easier if it's just the same set of people in the mm-hmm. same rooms for a longer duration. Yep. Absolutely. Whereas, you know, you kind of experienced where we did when we did impromptu networking, right, which is where you're with um, one other person for three, three or four minutes. And then you're in a second round where you're with a different person, and right. the second round, a different person. So um, the last time that I ran that workshop, I actually had a technical um, host uh, who was helping me out with that, who was handling all of that, which is great, because it meant that when we came back from the first round of rooms, I could be talking to the participants and really saying, so for those of you, it was your first time using Zoom breakout rooms. How was that? We could harvest a little bit out and I could kind of vamp um, or as Nancy says, tap dance. Um, that was the fun part facilitating with her for the first time where she needed to do something. And she says, Paul, could you tap dance here for a minute? And I didn't know what she meant by that. Yeah, exactly. But um and so I could be engaging with the participants while my co-host, uh, while my technical host was re- setting up the new breakout rooms. Right. And then and then Karen would give me the thumbs up when they were ready to go. And I go, OK, so thank you. So now we're going to go into the next round. And that was partly because in one of the sessions I was in, someone I was commenting about how, yeah, I really recommend doing that when you can, because otherwise, and I, I was very transparent about this in one moment where I was like, I was trying to continue to talk for the participants while I was doing something with the technology and I could tell my attention was going over there and I just kind of stopped and I said so just to be transparent about this I'm having difficulty because I'm getting you know I'm getting pulled over here and someone said said to me later when you started to drift off uh to deal with that I felt myself as a participant drifting off yeah Wow. Because my because the energy of engagement between the group and the facilitator changes when you're trying to juggle. And so so that's been really and I didn't even realize that until I then started working with a with a co-host um, to to help split that. And yeah. also being on the on the co-hosting mm-hmm. side, on the technical hosting side myself, just kind of going this is taking like 90% of my brain. How am I, you know, and I'm not even interacting with the participants. Right. How is it that I was trying to, do, and that was also, I mean, that was also a much bigger one. I think we had 56 participants. Wow. Um, and we were trying to do something where, uh, where the number of people in the groups actually matters. Like you're trying to get exactly three. And so when you're jumping back and forth between 17 different breakout rooms mm-hmm. and someone's going, my partner dropped off the line or uh, I'm actually connected via phone and via this thing. And so both of those need to be in the same place. Like there was a lot more complexity to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, the uh, classes that Rocket Nine is doing are typically two-day classes, two-day mm-hmm. in-person, eight-hour days. Yeah. Uh, so splitting that up uh, is looking more like, um, even though the first classes that we're doing online are still two days, we're going to quickly move to um, four four-hour sessions. And mm-hmm. you know, for each of those, we want to have two facilitators and potentially a third person to handle some of this other stuff, including yeah. so there's a... a, a trending phrase uh unfortunately that i learned about called zoom bombers i don't know if you've encountered that but can you talk about security and keeping people out what are some tips that you can do to keep just the right people there because i say this because i've been hosting um some lean coffees online and i'll continue to do that throughout april and i like to publicize it over twitter but I also have people myself, I have people go to my uh, meetup page, meetup.com slash Agile Coffee, and then they could subscribe and they get the Zoom link that way. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing um, – one of the things that a lot of us are learning is that, uh, I mean, registration is generally a useful thing because that way you know how many people mm-hmm. to prepare for. Also, because for most of us, there's a limit to how many people you can have in your Zoom meeting, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, That's right. with the account that I have is 100, right? right. Um, not that I would want to try to facilitate 100 people at the same time anyway, um, but uh, – and so I'm usually trying to limit – and and the thing is that Zoom's registration system is not the most robust. I haven't I, used I, it. So, I, yeah. I don't recommend it. Oh, okay. um, and it's because you can't necessarily limit how many people are there. Are there. Um, you can do a couple of things with it. Uh, what uh, I love Zoom um, in part because of, and really because of the breakout rooms, because of how that works, because that's, it, for me, that's the killer feature. Um, yeah. But I am occasionally reminded of uh, Winston Churchill's comment about democracy, where he said, democracy is the worst form of government except for all of the others. And so there are a bunch of other things around Zoom where it's just like, oh, this is frustrating. Yeah. If only it did yeah. these other things really well. So I, for example, I've been using Eventbrite with, you know, for registration for, for my stuff, in part because I've been using that for a while for other things, and it integrates nicely with a bunch of my other systems. Um, I So the things that I, you know, so people are, I'm not just putting the link out there for anyone to join. Mm-hmm. Um, uh the other and also, you know, there are some settings you can and there's articles out there now about this um, where you can set up so that, for example, very little screen sharing happens in, in my sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I generally set it so that I'm the only one who can uh, who can do a screen share, uh, which is the big thing that a lot of people have been pointing to. Yeah. Um, and then also setting it up uh, so that, for example, if you remove a participant that they can't come back in. Right. Um, which actually, I mean, it's a double-edged sword because like sometimes I have people who connect into the workshop and then they're having difficulties. And now I need to, and particularly if I don't have a technical host, mm-hmm. um, I need to not put them into a breakout room, but that's an additional complexity for me to manage. So I kind of just want to like boot them, but then then they aren't necessarily going to be able to come back. And so it's like, how do that, how do I manage that? So there's some choices to make around around that. So let's, um, I still want to stay on this workshop because I, I took so much away, but let's talk a little bit about um, some of the different tools or patterns, I guess I want to say. Um, you and I have both been through training from the back of the room, TBR. Yep. Um, yep. Obviously, you were both familiar with liberating structures and, and their library of tools, um, mm-hmm. patterns. How do you incorporate those and what other ones are there that I'm sure that you're familiar with more from some of the groups and the people that you've mentioned? Uh, um, how do you find things like that and how do you work those into a, an online session? 
Yeah. So I was, uh, we were, there was a conversation going on in the TBR Slack community because it turns out I've had like seven different TBR trainers come through the, this workshop. Um, and, uh, which is great because I didn't necessarily realize it at the time. And then I was like, wait a minute. Oh, I see what's good. Cause then someone, I don't know, in that, in that community. Um, so, and I started to think more about that because I'm, I'm sort of aware of a bunch of the liberating structure stuff that I do. But going back to that sort of creating the container, I think one of the things that really I use a lot from the, the training from the back of the room idea is that sort of C4 structure mm-hmm. um, and particularly connection, right? The first C, because that's really what I'm doing when we talk about shaping, creating the container at the beginning. I'm really, you know, connecting the participants with each other, with their goals for the session, with their um uh, with their current knowledge, uh, what do they already know about this? Uh, those are things that I'm doing in almost every every workshop that I do. Um, uh, even you know, even things that aren't trainings, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, those just make everything easier. That that is, I, in, when I think about it, that's a lot of what I'm doing to create the container. I'm I'm doing some behavioral norming as well, mm-hmm. and creating some and modeling some expectations for how we're going to interact. But most of what I'm doing is that connection piece: is connecting to each other, connecting to the content, connecting to their own goals. Um, I think there's another actual thing in this in that fourth C, but I, and that first C, but I can't remember what it is. So that's what I do a lot of. And then, um, but I kind of follow that, that frame, right. Of then, um, a lot of the content I'm doing is pulled from the participants. So I really blend those sort of, um, concrete practice and content to, in, in a different way. Um, but but then conclusions right are all huge thing for me. Um, I always say that uh, we only know that we have learned something when we actually do something different, right? Application is the ultimate test of learning, and so I'm always doing action plans, right? What's one thing you're going to do as a result of what you've learned here today? Was, was that What's the uh, the L E A or the E L A or whatever that was? E L A, yeah, Ella. So that's a that's a debriefing technique that I got yeah. from Faith Fuller uh, years ago, um, and it's just three questions, right? And mm-hmm. and part of that is it, they're in sequence for a reason, right? The first question is, what was your experience? of this, whatever it was, right? You can debrief anything with these three questions. What was your experience of this? So that's the E. And, and, and by experience, right, that is like, how did it feel? Yeah. Like, what, what did you notice about yourself? <laughs> like, oh, my experience was I was frustrated or I felt connected or uh, I was excited, right? It's, it's the very subjective experience. I sometimes ask, like, what was it like to be you mm. during this time? Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, And then, because some people like to go to the cognitive right away, but it's actually about staying at that experiential, emotional level in that first question. Second question is cognitively, what did you learn? Right? What, what it's an idea that you, you picked up or a thing that you figured out, you know, that your, your brain is going, oh yeah, I learned this thing. Um, because we kind of have to get past the experience before we can get to the learning. Um, and then the last question, the A in Ella, right, is how will you apply what you've learned? What's the application here? So that's the action planning piece. And so I, I, I use that because uh, it, it's, um, it, it's so valuable. When I do it in 
per, in my in-person workshops, I do those as partner conversations. Oh, okay. Right. So I have people pair up and I, mm -hmm. and I give them like, you know, I'll, it's usually like a 10 minute activity, right? Where mm -hmm. each, or where each round is three minutes, right? You and your partner have a conversation. And the first question is, what was your experience like? And then the, we ring the bell after three minutes. And then the next one is what, you know, what are you learning? Great. What are you applying? And then I'll, I'll often do a popcorn harvest at the end where I say, you know, if I've got a group of 12 people, right, I'll be like, I'd love to hear seven things that, yeah. that seven answers to the first question. What was it like to be you today? And then, and so we'll harvest those things out so people can kind of hear and share a little bit. So it's like a 15 minute closing activity. And then when we did it in the online in the workshop, I just had people write their, their stuff in chat. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it could happen sort of parallel processing, but you're actually writing it out. And somebody said, I wrote it down that I was going to do this thing. And it suddenly made it real. <laughs> and I'm like, ha ha ha. Yeah. But that's a, but that's totally a, 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 um, a conclusions activity from the, mm -hmm. from the TBR standpoint. So I use like, um, connections and conclusions all over the place in the stuff that I do. Uh, that's the kind of the biggest piece in terms of the way that I shape the overall structure. Would you say that because um, you did a little bit of pre-work for this workshop too? When you when you set up, sent out the invite, I think maybe you had asked uh, us a question or two, maybe why we're doing it, what we're hoping to get out of it, and um, and it wasn't much pre-work. It was maybe one question for us. But as you're talking about, you use um, the connections. Uh, I can see how you can use the pre-work as a bit of uh, you know as connections. What other types? Because Again, I've only been to your two-hour workshop. I've seen you speak in person, but uh, I haven't been to um, any of the other, um, the one-on-one -on -one coaching or the other coaching or other workshops that you do. And I'd like to hear more about that. But, sure. but do you make use of pre-work? Um, how is the use of pre-work kind of fit in with what you're doing here online? Yeah. So I haven't been doing much in the way of pre-work because, um, you know, these are random groups that come together once and right I don't know yeah. Yeah, right now they are exactly. Yeah. Um, and I don't know like what their culture of getting stuff done between sessions is. Okay. Um, and so I haven't been doing much in the way of pre-work now. What I, that's a have, good point though, matching to right? their culture, their existing culture. Cause you don't know. That's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like someone said, uh, there was a question in one of the workshops about decision-making, right? It's like, so, you know, we were doing a bunch of where people were coming up with individual action items and they're like, so how would you like bring a group together to figure out, you know, what they were, you know, like retrospective action items. Right. And it's like, and I'm like, well, it depends. How does this group decide what to do? Like different groups have different ways that they decide that. And it's got to match what they're already doing. Mm -hmm. You can't, um, you know, and, and most of the time I find when I work with groups, when I ask, so how do you make decisions about what to do? They don't know. Yeah. They can't, they can't tell you, which usually means they don't actually make much in the way of decisions. Right. Um, and the reason, and I asked that for a reason, but yeah, I think that any, I have a pretty strong, I can create a pretty strong container when we're all together outside of that. It's going to be much more determined by sort of the, the enclosing culture that if I'm working with a team, right, it's going to be um, what, what is their organization? Like, what is their team? Like, how do they do that? And so I can't, I have to work with whatever is there. It's like, I don't know if you um, heard the, uh, we're, we're in where I talked about the, the question that I asked teams about, um, about what does it mean when a meeting is scheduled for 1030? 
uh, this is a, I mean, I started doing this years ago out of frustration and then discovered it was actually useful. Yeah. And I started, I started working with the team and it was like our second meeting. And I, I just said, so, uh, I'm curious when the calendar says that there's a meeting scheduled for 1030 on this team, does that mean that we want to start the content at 1030 or at 1030, we want to start walking towards the conference room and you can see, and, and, and I asked it in such a way that yeah. it really was an honest question and people, and, and they kind of went, you know, we really wish that it was the former, but yeah. it's actually the latter. And I'm like, that's fine. I can work with that. I just need to know. I want us to all agree. Also, that means that if I have 60 minutes worth of stuff we need to get through, I'm going to schedule 75. Right. Because I know we're not going to get started until seven minutes past the hour. And that's yeah. okay. I just like it's level setting. And so yeah. for pre-work like that, really, I would probably again, incrementally ease into it if I were working with a group over time Got where it. Where it's like, cool, let's try an experiment, right? Oh, okay. Does this group actually do this stuff? What What is their complexity limit for what they can do between sessions? Yeah. Um, I have really valued, um, there's a, a couple of online learning uh, communities that I've been part of where what they do. So there's one that I really, really love, which is um, the, it's a monthly cadence sort of thing where the, on the second, uh, the first Thursday of the month of a 15 minute video about the topic gets released. And then two weeks later on the third Thursday is a live Q and A about that and other topics. Um, and it's this blended learning model, right? Where if we're doing content presentation, oftentimes content is most effectively presented asynchronously. We mm. don't have to all be together at the same time. And in fact, that's often not very valuable. What the valuable part is, is for us to have absorbed the content and then come with our questions about it or and then get together and do interactive activities to actually engage with that content. Um, and so that's actually something that I'm, I'm starting to work on, um, on a, uh, <laughs> I had plans, uh, to in March really be building out this, um, facilitation class, uh, um, that I was going to then be delivering online. Um, and it would, uh, and it would include a, here's how to facilitate online, but also a lot of the stuff is, is about how to do it in person as well. And the, that was a model I was really planning on using, uh, March, as it turns out, is not the month where I was going to get <laughs> to build all that out. Came in and like a also, lion, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but so that's really, I think, that kind of thing where it's like if you have your, hey, this is our, and, and that's where you can change up the the content, you know, the, the second C in, um, in uh, the TBR stuff is, yeah. yeah, giving people the content pieces asynchronously so they can digest that at their own pace mm -hmm. and, then, and then having them in, engage with it when they're all together. And that's a model that, that's a flipped classroom style is the other, um, the other uh, way that I've heard that described in education, where you're going to watch this lynda.com or sorry, now LinkedIn learning video, and yeah. then come to the class and we're going to work with it. Paul, you've been really gracious here answering my questions about the workshop. I do want to give you a, a, a moment of time here to talk about anything else that you'd like to um, to share beyond the workshop that, that you've got out there. You also had a, you mentioned um, a three hour session that you're capping at about 12 people to kind of go over some diagnostics people can use with their online meetings or, or any other services or techniques you want to share right now. 
Yeah, sure. So I'm doing a couple of things right now. And I'm actually, you know, this is where we're in probe sense respond, right? Mm -hmm. um, kind of figuring out because there's a lot of, I'm sure you're saying this too, there's a lot of financial uncertainty right now. Uh, I, um, my friend Christiana uh, shared with me a Warren Buffett quote that I hadn't heard before, but a lot of people had, which was, uh, you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. <laughs> And I, I think a lot of us are finding ourselves suddenly on nude beaches um, uh, because uh, so what I'm doing a lot of right now, I'm putting a lot of these small free things out there. So I've got um, I, and I'm kind of rejiggering them as I go, as I'm learning stuff from them. So um, I've been doing this um, how not to take your meetings online, which is a little one hour workshop that kind of exposes a lot of people to the things that you saw in that taste of virtual facilitation, mm -hmm. but I don't explicitly point at it and say like, here's the technique or here's the, the thing um, to kind of get people a sense of what is possible. And it's also lower commitment because it's an hour. I really appreciate the people who are willing to just like dive in to two hours of stuff. Um, I think I'm going to be retooling um, uh, that, uh, the thing that you were a part of um, a little bit and probably relaunching it here soon. And then I think what's actually going to happen with that three-hour workshop uh, because there hasn't been enough uh, enough interest in it right now um, for me to be offering that. So I may put that on the shelf for a little while and come back to it. But I'm probably going to take some of the pieces of it and do those as as some other one-hour con free content sorts of things. Um, so those diagnostics that we, we talked about will probably be out there and available. The thing that I am doing that um, people are finding more and more valuable is I'm just do I'm doing basically one-on-one -on -one Entering, where it's like, hey, I, you've got this meeting coming up. You're trying to figure out how to do this. You've maybe been through one of these these workshops, and you're really struggling to see how you might apply it to your situation. And I'm doing just, hey, let's get together. We'll do a one-on-one -on -one session. You get to pick my brain. I'll give you the advice that I can to help you make that possible. More more people are kind of jumping on that, um, and that is work that I, I really do enjoy doing because it's we really can just sit down and solve your specific problem. So tell people how they can find out more information about that. Sure. So you can go to uh, you can go to my website, vigamus.com. That's V-I-G-E-M-U-S. Uh, pro tip, uh, try not to name your, your new company uh, with something that's clever in Latin. I don't speak uh, that. <laughs> yeah. It means we thrive in Latin. Um, and, yeah. Uh, you can also... PaulTevis.com will also forward you there, uh, which is great. And there's some information there about, um, you'll be able to find information about upcoming uh, workshops there and also um, a link to uh, booking time with me to do that one-on-one -on -one meeting mentoring, as well as the other, you know, leadership coaching and things like that, that I, that I do. Um, but right now I'm really pivoting hard into this space of, of helping people have better meetings, whether they are in person or online. Well, I realize today we are on a, on a short uh, time box here. I really appreciate you giving us all this information and taking the time out of your day. Uh, once again, I want to thank Paul Tevis for joining us today on the Agile Coffee Podcast. Thanks, Thanks Paul. for having me, Vic.